Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 24? I want to start by telling you a little story of what it could have been like prior to the angel appearing to Mary. What was the culture? What were people thinking toward God? Was he forgotten? Were they waiting? So to read this, and we're going to jump back to Genesis. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, afterwards, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, I like this, as soon as he woke up, I don't know how he could sleep after that. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Now, I don't know how many are aware or have heard, but when you look at your, the construct of your Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, I'm just going to go with you know, the King James uh, construct. I'm not going back into uh, what the Catholic Church has as the Apocrypha and all that stuff. I'm just going to go right here with what we know. Look how much, look how much there is in the Old Testament compared to the New. You see all that? If you're not a student of the Old Testament, you're missing a few things. Just want to say that you're missing a few things. And the biggest thing that you're missing out on is the very revelation of the Lord God to a people that were backslidden and wayward. And you'll be reminded how, how good he is, how filled with grace he is. They walked away from him. And they couldn't say, well, Lord, we didn't know. Let's go all the way back to Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15. Oops, that's Matthew. Let's park here for a moment. There's a verse in Revelation at the other end of the Bible that says 
that refers to the Son of God as the Lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. Have you pondered that? Have you pondered that? To me, that speaks more than what I can find anywhere, but I find that the Spirit certainly agrees with it. Rick's version, a little commentary. Before Adam and Eve were created, while the earth was being formed, the Father spoke to the Son and said, let us, let us, us, plural, let us make man in our image. But, this is where Rip's little commentary comes in here. But, Father looks at the Son and says, if we make man, we're going to give him the choice to be obedient or to sin. And then came the backup plan when the Father looked at the Son and said, if that happens, you will have to go to earth, become one of them, become one of them, leave heaven behind, go to the cross, and die in public shame for their sins. So they made man in their image, slain before the foundations of the earth. When Adam and Eve sinned, it didn't catch him off guard. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit were not surprised and going, we didn't plan on this. Yes, they did. How did it all go wrong? There's a devil loose. How does anything go wrong in this earth? It's the devil. It's not that God allows it. He's already made a way out of it if people would choose to do so. But many do not. Many are called, but few are chosen. And so we have this wonderful prophecy all the way back to Genesis 3 from the very start of it when it was just Adam and Eve in the garden and the Lord God was handing down what was going to happen in judgment of that great sin in the garden, the great falling of mankind. And, and the, the Lord looks at the devil and he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. You will cr your head is going to be crushed by this offspring. Well, the devil knew it, and he has been against the offspring ever since. Babies. Molech. Abortion. And we look at what's going on today. It's still happening, isn't it? The devil has come down to earth in a fury because he knows this time is short. We were warned that a great falling away was going to happen. We were warned, and now we're living in it. I don't know about you, but many of you here are veterans of years and decades of service to the Lord, and, and you've seen different emphasis, spotlights, where the Holy Spirit shines a spotlight on, on his bride and, and has her hear a few things, church-wide, capital C, church-wide, and one of them, was back in 
uh, the early 80s. Uh, Vicki and I were saved in 81, April 5th of 81. And uh, all, the, all of the talk back then was Jesus is coming back. And so we were busy looking for the Antichrist because we had the timetable all figured out. In the back of your Dake's Bible, in the back of your Dake's Bible was, uh, was, were all these diagrams and, and maps and, and all these things. That his, this is how it's going to play out. And, and uh, you know what? That people are still arguing over that. But you know what the emphasis was? Jesus is coming back. And we all knew that we were going to be out of here before the Antichrist comes on the scene. Now, people are still arguing over that today. And by the way, if you haven't seen what Pastor Mike has been offering to you before the wrath, I was here last Sunday. When I got done watching that, I was glued to my seat. I was stunned. That the whole return of the Lord revolves around this cultural thing of the Galilean wedding. His disciples were Galileans. And the best way for the Lord to make them understand what it was going to be like when he returns is it's going to be just, it's going to follow the model of the Galilean wedding. And before the wrath, spells it out, lays it out. It's wonderful. If you haven't seen it, you can still see it. Now, going all the way back, Genesis 3. That is the first messianic prophecy. That is the first. So let's take the time frame. And again, these are just in commentaries of scholars, people with a, with a higher pay grade than me have studied these things out and they think they know everything, but they don't. Got a good guess on it. We know what the Bible says. Trying to figure out certain things in it is a whole nother matter. But we know this, that there is a good guess that there's, and just for the sake of getting a handle on, on, on dates and time frames, let's say from Genesis all the way to Matthew when the Messiah was born, that time frame was pretty close to 2,000 years. 4,000 years, excuse me. That's a long time. So through thousands of years of waiting and waiting and waiting for the Messiah, to multiple generations, the Lord spoke to at least 29 authors of the Old Testament to remind cultures in different, His people at different points in times through the millennia, I am going to bring a Messiah He's coming. He will save you from your sins. That's a long time to wait for a promise, isn't it? It sure is. And then we have between Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and Matthew, the first book, as we have it ordered, somewhere in there, how it was ordered. You open that up, and there's usually a page, a blank page between Old Testament and New Testament. You know how long that old page, that one blank page is, if you've got that between Malachi and Matthew? You know how long that wait was? This is worse yet. There was nothing said from heaven for 400 years. Quiet. No heavenly revelation. 
to Israel. But certain people, certain people, the Lord called out to be watchers. All through human history, God has had these remnants, a piece of the larger that somehow survived. I love the picture of a remnant of carpet. Some people take those remnant samples and they make a whole carpet out of them, you know, because nobody wants to throw the remnant away. That's good carpet, but it's not big enough to fit, and it's not what it used to be, but it reminds you of the what it came from. Now, that's a lot of years to wait. In the temple, on the eighth day, when Joseph and Mary and the Christ child went to the temple to have him circumcised. There were two people there that were watchers. There were two people there that never gave up on the Christ child coming to Israel. And they knew. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been there. They were waiting. So when, when, when Mary has this little bundle of joy, and they come in on the eighth day to have him circumcised. We have these two people who are there, and they're going, it's him. It's him. In Luke chapter 2, we have this account. As they walked into the temple, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the man was righteous, and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What a promise. Within a promise. I wonder how many people believed him. I'm sure he didn't keep that a secret. And he came... And he came in the Spirit into the temple. In the Spirit, into the temple. He was there. He was directed. He was guided. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him to have him there for the fulfilling of that promise, of the greater promise of Israel. And he was waiting for the consolation, the consoling of Israel. 400 years of no one hearing from the Lord. Verse 28, he took him up in his arms, blessed God, and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. He says, I can die now. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation, get this, to the Gentiles. talking about that. He was the first one to mention that. And for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, his mother, behold. Now he begins to prophesy. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. Appointed to it. The falling and rising. He's appointed to that. 
and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Wherever the Lord sends you, keep in mind, you might be the only believer there. And I like what it says here. From him, thoughts of many hearts will be opposed against. Jesus didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Remember those words? Yes. A divider but also a unifier amongst his own. And sometimes when we go to the job site and we think, I don't fit here. Lord, what am I doing here? <laughs> you do fit there. When it seems like nobody likes you, nobody likes to be around you, it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit that's in you. Be encouraged in that. You were put there. For a divine purpose to expose the wickedness in other people's hearts to the point where the Lord can now judge it. I have been blessed to the point where the Lord has shown me some of that. Going back many years, my youth pastor days, we were going door to door in a small town around here, and we were trying to, in a, in a certain method, be a witness to everyone. We did an, an evangelistic sweep of the town of Gailey back in 92. Summer of 90, excuse me, 91. Doesn't matter, does it? Um, that's my wife over there. That doesn't matter. To me, it does. Guys, you have a wife like that? Um, when we swept that town, I warned, I warned the workers that were dividing up and going to, to each one that was a team leader. I was a team leader, and I was going to take one other person with me, sometimes two. And I said, whoever comes with me, we're, we're going to get the bad ones. We're going to get the hard ones. We're going to get the ones that will tangle you up and make you think differently. I said, so if you want to come with me, and there was a young lady who stood up, and she says, I want that. And so I said, okay, I don't know what we're going to get today. And we got a couple of doozies that day. One I'll never forget is coming up to a nice castle-like home with a beautiful yard, big horseshoe driveway, and we walked, and he was mowing his grass. And she looked at me and with a funny look, and I said, I'll get this. And so I walked up, and, and I, had, I had a little survey thing. We were going to ask questions, and I walked up, and I thought, this is no good. It's not going to work. I walked up to him, and I said, how are you doing today? And he says, don't ask. Says, Sir? He says, the doctor said I'm going to die in a month, and I've got to cut my grass. And I said, sir, do you know where you're going when you die. Well, now you're getting rude. Get out of here. Started his tractor and 
kept on mowing. When I walked away, the Lord told me, he says, Rip, there are some people that you will talk to unto their judgment and unto their own wrath. I was the last one, most likely, the lawyer types would go, prove it. I just know he had a month left to make up his mind who he was going to serve and to repent. A month later, I went by his house. His grass was getting long. That's the only sign that I have that he was no longer there. You may be in some places in your life doing some things in your life and you wonder, why am I doing this? God wants to use you in this prophecy of Simeon. He sends Jesus, Jesus in you and all over you, the Holy Spirit, to bring to people opposition. And they have no clue that what they're opposing God is just a fairy tale, and oh, he just doesn't care, and maybe when I die, I hope I've done enough good things to maybe make it into heaven, and you know, St. Peter waiting at the gate and all that. Fairy tales. So, maybe Simeon's prophecy is for you this morning, but that's not all. Moving right along. There's someone else there. And there was a prophetess, verse 36. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was eighty. Four years old. Now, why, why make a big deal of this? Is because the Lord wants us to see that our life is not over when we're 84 years old. She did not depart from the temple. She never left, is what that means. They left the lights on for her, so to speak. Worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up to that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. There was a remnant there. They were waiting for the Christ child. They had heard about what was, has been taking place in those eight days. Tell me that the countryside was not a buzz. Now, if the Lord has a smile on his face at that time, he'd say, I told you. I told you. So, moving from that expectation of a promise that, was, that took centuries and millennia to fulfill, whatever that number is. Excuse me if I've offended someone that might be listening to this, okay? Get the point. Prophecy. Over the last few weeks, I've been listening to, to Mike teaching on, on 2 Peter and that one verse in there that talks about the sure 
we have this, the sure word of prophecy. And he talks about, Peter says, that these men, no one had a, by private interpretation, but these were men who were carried along. Blown along is the more literal meaning, blown by the Holy Spirit. Having their sails up, they were blown by, they were driven, they were moved by the Holy Spirit to speak words that they heard audibly and under the penalty of law and death that they were to give that word for word for word of what the Lord said. That's prophecy. That's what it was like to be a prophet, a prophetess. Back then, you had to say it because they were a representation to the extreme exactness of what God was going to promise. So I did a little... I am, I am not a mathematician, but this, this boggles my mind. Don't show it yet, Larry. When I, when I wave, I want you to show it. How many promises did Jesus fulfill? How many Old Testament promises did he fulfill? And while you're Googling that, let me say this, that it's debatable, but if you go to one particular website that, that quotes some Bible scholars, that's what you want to do. You don't want to go directly to the Bible scholars because you'll wonder what it is they're talking about and why they're taking so many words to do it. But go to the people that say, this is where it's at. And I went to, um, is it Ron Beyer? His website. And he says this, flatly says it, 365 promises. Messianic prophecies. Jesus fulfilled every one of them. Okay. Let's talk about the odds of that happening. How powerful. Many prophecies are that you know, at some point today, we'd look at it and we'd say, we shut the prophet up, he just keeps rambling on. Every couple of little whiles, he'll, he'll bring a prophecy about the same thing, but a little bit different each time. No. Be careful. 365. You know, let's, let's talk about the Las Vegas odds on that. Everybody's casino crazy these days. What a wonderful way to waste and throw away God's money. There, that's all I'm going to say about that. May the Lord deal with you before I do. Don't get me started. Too late. If someone said, but let's just entertain this moment. I know if someone, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't bet. Not after saying that for sure, but I mean, I don't, I don't bet on anything. I don't live my life by chance. I'm not eager to win something valuable from somebody else. It's just rotten. I am to give to them and to loan to them, not win something from them. It hurts my heart to even think about it. But I know this, that if I were a betting man, I certainly wouldn't bet on the odds of one man fulfilling 360 Five promises. You know, we, we read about mathematical odds. You know what is, uh, the only mathematical odd that I can come up with that's mind-boggling to me in the natural sense is what are the odds of the Lions winning the Super Bowl this year? All right? Huge. Huge. 
I was listening to a talk radio program. It's, a, it's about cars. You know, it's on Saturday morning when I'm putzing around town on a Saturday morning. I'll listen to it, and, and an ad came on about the odds of someone who likes cars that will go on to be an NH or, a, a, excuse me, a NASCAR big-time race car driver and go on and win the cup. And what the odds of that was like one in 600,000 or something, okay? You think about that. When we were kids, we were told, what are the odds of you growing up to be president? That's only one, correct? That's only one, let's say, promise, prophecy, one event. One event. Did you bet on that? Certainly not more than a couple of cents, because you know it's not going to return for you. You make the odds big enough, and I'm sure that somebody will find a way to say, well, why not? It's worth it. What are the odds of 365 promises, one man fulfilling every one of those prophetically, from over 29 authors through the course of 4,000 years through how many books of the Bible, through how many years they never knew each other. Shall we make this more difficult? Nothing is too difficult for God. Is his arm too short to save? Why God can do anything. So, just for simplicity's sake, shall we whittle that number down from 365? Let's take eight. Sound reasonable? Do you think that that will fit us to be able to reason out in our minds that, you know, that I, you know, if if the Lord did this through eight, yeah, I can I can grasp that as maybe weighing out to what it would be like to fulfill all those exponential, huge calculator, calculus numbers of filling one man filling three hundred and sixty-five. So, Larry, show us what the odds are of one man fulfilling eight promises. Eight promises. There you are. Eight promises. That's ten octillion. How many mathematicians do we have here? I mean, you went... Do we have anybody that went into calculus? That's why I didn't do calculus. So we have ten... Then we have 10,000, and then the next after that's 100,000, and then after that comes a million, 10 with the six, the first three and the second three, there's your 10 million, and then the next three is 10 billion, then the next three is 10 trillion, then the next three are 10 octil, or excuse me, quadrillion. And then there's one, two, three, and then the last one. That, that number is known as ten octillion. How many of you have ever counted to a million? Just a measly little million. Help you grab on how big this fulfilling eight promises. One man fulfilling eight promises. One man. Look at that. Each set of three zeros, exponential. A thousand times a thousand is a million. You know, a thousand millions 
is a billion, and a thousand billions is a trillion. Our minds cannot grasp that. Can you imagine 365, one man? 365. Does that give you a picture of a God who created a universe with so many stars in the sky? He dared Abraham to count them. Dared Abraham to take a handful of sand and count the grains of sand in his hand. And we have little glimpses of how great our God is with his numbers. Don't look at me, but he's got the hairs on your head numbered. He knows when a sparrow falls from the sky. Look at that number. One in eight. One man doing eight. Try 365. Now, tell me again, what was your problem? What problem do you have? It's like, Lord, would you fix this for me? Lord, can you do this? Can he do it? I say this to boost your faith. Let it take a step up this morning. All that God was looking for through that millennial span of time was for someone to believe him. He didn't have a family. He lost his family. They fell in the garden. They couldn't walk in the garden. Put a flaming sword, lest they go and eat of the other fruit that would cause them in their wickedness and filth of sin to live forever in that. The Lord, no, uh uh-uh. Pushed them out of the garden. God lost his family. An octillion. And that's only eight. Isn't that amazing? Try 357 more. Let's try another eight. Times that. Oh, that wouldn't be 80 octillion. No. Do your math. Exponential. You know, when calculators came out, you know, the digital kind with, you know, you turn them on and numbers come at you. It's no longer that roll of paper and and you press a button and crank that arm down, ching ching. You know that was the calculators of our days when we were kids. Then came out these electric digital things, and all of a sudden you could take it. And I used to do the um, there was a for whatever function was on it, I'd take a number and I'd multiply it exponentially and watch it grow across the screen until there's no more room. And I'd sit there and I'd look at that. I didn't know God. But I knew that forever was forever. Let's go back. Let's try this. Larry, could you put up our first verse again? Matthew, chapter 1, somewhere between 18 and 24. Okay, get us a little bit further. Get us all the way down to 24. where it says Emmanuel. Um, you know what? I, I'm going to get this. What was read in, in Matthew is, oh, that would be verse 23. Verse 23. One more. Ah, I knew. 
The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, that is a fulfilling, a fulfilling of Isaiah 7.14. That came out of Isaiah. Look at how many, yeah, now we, we think in terms of 365 prophecies as being maybe one here and one there and 365 places. Some of them have a bunch of them wrapped up. These are the dynamics that are wrapped up in this. A virgin will be with child. What are the chances of that happening? Can you say impossible except with God? Will give birth to a son. You just added another dynamic to that. And then he's going to be called Emmanuel. Let's add another one to that. Do you see how this grows? Each one is exponential, by the way. It's not a one, two, three thing. It's a one times, 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 times thing. And you end up with the ten octillion after just eight. Just eight. Emmanuel. She, they, will call him Jesus. But they... Mary and Joseph will call him Jesus, but they, who's they? That's you and me. We'll call him Emmanuel. Have you ever called him Emmanuel? Have you ever done that? Do you know what Emmanuel really is when we, it's a, it can be a verb. Let's look at that in verb form. It's something that we do. It's an action word, Emmanuel. When was the last time you told someone about something God did in your life? That's what Emmanuel means. Testimony. The Lord has so filled your life, filled it full of testimony of His glory. Emmanuel. eager to share what God has given you. You know what Bethlehem means? It means house of bread. Jesus is the word of life. He is the living word. He is the bread of life. John talks about that. The bread. Where does bread come from? An oven? Not your microwave. An oven? It takes time. It takes patience. You smell the aroma of it. Your neighbors can smell the aroma of it. How long has it been? since you've opened up your oven and given fresh bread to your neighbors. The people that you rub shoulders with every day, fresh bread. For man, Jesus said this in the temptation in the 40 days in the wilderness, said this to the devil. You know, when the devil said, hey, these rocks, are you hungry, Jesus? Take these rocks and turn them into bread. You can do that, you know. What he wanted to do was derail Jesus fast is what he wanted to do. He wanted to stop that fast. 
if you fasted before, <laughs> that's what happens during the fast. You can turn these rocks into bread, loaves, loaves of bread, fresh bread from Bethlehem, the house of bread. Jesus said this, and this is what I'm going to end with today. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the, from the mouth of God, from his mouth, proceeds forth. Every word that proceeds forth. And you want to do a word study on that? You know what that proceeds? Fourth means it means projectile. Have you ever said something that you didn't think would even have any effect on people concerning a testimony or a word of the Lord? Maybe something just popped into your head and you said it, and all of a sudden people are like, whoa. Every word that proceeds, you know that that is present tense. I wasn't a great grammar person either, but I know this. Proceeds, proceedeth, is present tense. Jesus was speaking of present tense words that come from the Father, from heaven, proceeds from the mouth of Emmanuel to us. Otherwise, how would we hear from him? How would they hear? Testimony. Emmanuel, God with us. Not too many years ago, I was given an invitation to be a compliance officer in the probate courts of Emmett County and Charlevoix County, mainly Charlevoix County. One of the things I ended up doing was riding a, on a bus with about 15, 16 kids that were criminals, teenagers, 13, 14, 15, 16, criminals, drug addicts. And I rode that bus to take them to their court school every day. Pick them up, take them back to their foster homes at night every day. They were rascals. Craig knows. Craig knows. So Vicki can tell you of sometimes I'd come through the door at night about 7.30. I'd come in the door after a long day with these rapscallions. And I'd come through the door and I'd be like, I am done with this for a day. One day, one kid sprouts a brain. And he looks at me and he goes, why are you here? I said, because you guys can't watch yourselves. No. You could do so many other things. Why are you here? I looked at him and I said, and I mean instantaneously, I looked at him and I said, because you ignore God. And everybody on the bus, their heads turned. Had one of them Selah moments. I didn't have to say anything, explain anything. They knew. Because you ignore God. That's part of my ministry, as Vicki will tell you, is that I'm not a long-term pastor. I'm the guy that gets sent to very troubled churches to do an apostolic work. None of those churches are in good shape, but they're better when I left. And I went in to one particular church, 
had demonic manifestations in it. And I'm like, Lord, what am I doing here? That was the first question I should have asked this. Lord, what am I doing in this place? This is years, years, years back, several churches back. It's because they ignore God. Why do people ignore God? When he has done so much for us as his children, why? So we, you know, we don't really ignore him. Well, then why do we neglect him? Why? Oh, question's too big for me. I'm sorry. Would you stand with me, please? God is so good. His goodness flows out from his greatness. And who can behold his greatness except those who have clean hands and pure hearts? Wash your hands, O sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Saith the Lord, this is the day. This is the hour. I am looking for those Who will wash their hands of all of the acts and deeds? Even the ones they thought were good. And will purify their hearts of every unclean thought. Thoughts of yesteryear. Thoughts of things that you wish you could go back and redo. Thoughts of failure and condemnation. The Lord says, come up out of that. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. 